You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. We are in a series called In the Beginning God, where we're walking through Genesis verse by verse. And we've gotten to this point where Abraham, not because he's an amazing man, not because he followed God all his life, but simply because God chose to make a covenant with him. God calls this man Abraham and says, if you walk in my ways, this is what I'm going to do for you. Not because of your behavior, not because of your own righteousness, but because of my faithfulness, this is what I'm going to do through you. And we see Abraham imperfectly and still with sin in his life walks in God's ways, which means when he messes up, what does he do? He asks for forgiveness. He repents and he gets back on track. And we see that there are both difficult things in Abraham's life, but there are many blessings in his life as he walks with God. And one of those blessings is God is blessing Abraham's entire family, including his nephew Lot. And Lot grows so fruitful that his flocks are in conflict with Abraham's flocks. And Abraham goes, hey, Lot, listen, the whole land is before you. You choose which way you want to go, and I'll just take the rest. And Lot chooses what is known as kind of this fertile crescent or this fertile area, which happened to be in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so Lot enters into the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, and his life takes a tragic downhill turn. He becomes obsessed with the affections of his flesh. He lives in wickedness among lewd and foul people. And yes, Lot is considered righteous. And you go, how is that possible? Because that's what God's word says. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 7. And righteous Lot uh, amazes me. Because it's so easy for me to detach myself from the person of Lot and go, well, I'm glad I'm not that bad. Anybody relate to that? Well, at least I'm not that bad. But here's the reality. There's a lot of Lot in many of us, isn't there? It's easy to go back to old habits, to go back to old ways. And Lot gets suckered in to this place called Sodom and Gomorrah. And he loses his walk with God, not his salvation, but he loses his walk with God. Whereas Abraham is a man that walks with God. And today's story is a tale of these two men. What does it look like to walk with God versus what does it look like to walk in the flesh? To decide what is right in your own eyes. To go your own way. And brothers and sisters, this is a hard passage today. There are some difficult things in this scripture that we will cover. And so I hope your ears are open. We're going to begin in Genesis 19, verse 15. But before we do, let me pray and then we'll get into the scriptures. Uh, Lord, this morning, we have some difficult things to cover. Lord, I'm just a man, a sinful man, and your word is perfect and right and true. And so, Lord, I need your spirit to rightly divide your word and to teach it according to the truth that you have set forth in your scriptures. Lord, we need humble hearts to receive the areas where we're like Lot 
and the areas where you call us to grow in our walk with you. Lord, the beauty is, is that none of us are righteous, not a single one. And yet because of your son, Jesus Christ, you cover us in your righteousness when we repent of our sins and turn to you. So Lord, may we take heart today. Where there needs to be conviction, let there be conviction. Where we need to be encouraged, let us be encouraged. Lord, we thank you for your church, for the other churches that are meeting here in North County that worship the name of Jesus Christ. Would you bless them in their time of study and fellowship this morning? We give you our time now. May it be a pleasing offering to you in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Here we go. Genesis 19. God has sent two angels into the city of Sodom and Gomorrah specifically for the purpose of telling Lot and his family, get out. God is going to bring judgment upon the city. Lot, I don't want you a part of the judgment because you belong to me. Now grab your relatives and get out. And if you remember, the men of the city of Sodom try to knock down Lot's door in order to have sexual relations with these two angels or these two men. And Lot and his absolute confusion and wickedness and because of his lack of a walk with God offers his two daughters instead. And last week we talked about how blind he was. What a horrible father he was because he had been living in sin and in a wicked environment for so long that he was now trying to choose what was right in his own eyes. And the angels tell Lot again, you need to get out. God's judgment is coming. Verse 15, when the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you become consumed in the punishment of the city. That is God's judgment on the city. And while he lingered, who lingered? Lot lingered. The men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. If you're taking notes this morning, write this down. God's mercy is astounding. God's mercy is astounding. Consider this. Lot has been told numerous times by the angels, God is going to judge the city, meaning he's going to wipe it out. This will be final. No one will survive. You need to leave. And what is Lot doing? It says he's lingering. In other words, he's winking at his sin. He's holding on to the things that his flesh loves, even though he knows that it's killing him. Think of standing in the middle of a freeway as a semi-truck comes towards you. In your right mind, what would you do? You get out of the road because you know that's going to hit you and it's going to kill you. It's not that Lot didn't know what was right and what was wrong. It's that he had been steeped so deeply in this sinful and wicked environment that he couldn't let go. And notice the astounding mercy of God. God has his two angels in the city. Two angels equals how many hands? Four hands. Are we awake this morning? Yeah. All right, here we go. <laughs> two angels equals four hands. One hand for Lot, one hand for his wife, one hand for one of his daughters, and one hand for the other. And they do what with those four people? They drag them out of the city. I love that this is the God that we worship. 
Can you think of a season in your life where God literally took you by the hand and dragged you out of the sinful pit that you were in? I know he did it in my life. I was a slave to sexual sin, to my own pridefulness and career. And God took me by the hand and led me out because he's merciful. This is who God is. Before we look upon the judgment of God, do we not see his incredible mercy? Second Peter chapter three, verse nine says that God wishes for none to perish, but for all to come to repentance. That's his heart. And God grabs Lot's family and he pulls them out of Sodom and Gomorrah. Look at Psalm 86 verses five through seven on your screen. Let's read this all together. One loud voice. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer and attend to the voice of my supplications. In the day of my trouble, I will call upon you for you will answer me. Isn't it amazing that we looked at last week Abraham had this conversation with God. God tells Abraham what his plans are. Abraham, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because the cry of the sinfulness has reached me, meaning it has become so great that there's no turning back for these people. Their hearts are hardened, and there's only one way to deal with that kind of sin. It's to destroy it. And Abraham goes, Lord, if I'm in relationship with you, if, if you would listen to me, what, what, if there's, what if there's 45 righteous people? Well, would you wipe out Sodom and Gomorrah if there were 45 righteous people? And what's God's response? No. And on and on it goes until Abraham gets down to what number? Ten people. Out of the thousands, maybe tens of thousands that were in that city, God, if there's just ten righteous people, then would you destroy it? And God goes, no, Abraham, I wouldn't. Because my judgment does not fall upon my people. This is as true back then as it is for our future as we look forward to the return of Jesus Christ. God's wrath will not be poured out on his church. Because who bore our wrath? Jesus Christ bore our wrath on the cross. Therefore, God's punishment, his judgment will not come upon us. It is reserved for a Christ-rejecting world. We're going to talk about this a little bit later on in the message, but I think sometimes it's easy for us to confuse God's wrath and punishment with the consequences that come naturally from our own sin. And we're going to distinguish between the two. In this case, Abraham is remembering, Lord, you are just. You will not lose a single one of your children even if there's just 10 righteous and really God goes the extra mile. How many righteous are there in Sodom? One. And not because of his own works, not because of anything he's done, but second Peter chapter two, verse seven makes it clear that righteous lot. And that blows my mind and also should give us great hope. Amen. Incredible. God will not wipe out the city until that one righteous man and his family are out. Does that remind you of any other story we've covered in Genesis? Ah, Noah and the flood. 
those who belong to God, he will absolutely rescue and not pour out his wrath. But for those who don't, there is a judgment that is coming. It is final. It is eternal. And it is just. This is who God is. Verse 17. So it came to pass when they had brought them outside the city that he, or meaning they, the angels, said, escape for your life. Do not look behind you nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains lest you be destroyed. Good, good instruction? Let's talk about this just for a second. Why do you think God wants to send Lot and his family to the mountains? What's in the mountains? What's in the mountains? Everyone say nothing. <laughs> There's nothing there. Except this, an opportunity for Lot to be alone with God because he has been steeped in a wicked and sinful environment that has a grip on his heart. God doesn't want to send him to any other place except where he can be alone because here's God's heart. He desires for us to repent of our sins and to come back into that walk with him. This is what God desires for Lot and his family. He says, flee to the mountains because in the mountains, there's no distractions. In the mountains, there's not a temptation. In the mountains, there's not the liquor store down the street. In the mountains, there's not the click button on your email. In the mountains, this is where God meets with his people. As we look ahead to the life of Moses for both men's and women's ministry, where God speaks to Israel, where he speaks to Moses is where? On the mountain, on Sinai. God desires for Lot to be pulled out of the wicked environment that he's in so that he can be alone with God. Alas, verse 18, then Lot said to the angels, please, no, my lords. How many of you have ever been told no by your kids? How many of you think it matters if they say, please, no? <laughs> it doesn't. It's still no. It's still defiance. What is Lot doing here? He's defying the divine direction of God. Now, we need to just take a moment. I'm sure probably just about everybody in here knows that Jesus rescued us from our sins by dying on the cross and being raised up from the dead. We know that truth. But despite knowing that truth, even in my own life, is it hard to trust God? But logically speaking, shouldn't we? I mean, didn't he rescue us and ransom us from sin and death? So logically speaking, anytime he gives us direction, we should what? Yes, but so often in our lives, we go, well, please, no, I, I have a better plan. Let me tell you how you should be doing things in my life. Now, we chuckle about this, but it's, it's very real. We know that he's the savior. We just don't want saving from certain things. We cling to the things of this world. And look at what Lot is going to do. He says, please know my lords. Verse 18. Now 19. Indeed now your servant has found favor in your sight. Has Lot found favor in God's sight? You bet. He says, you have increased your mercy 
which you have shown me by saving my life. Does Lot have understanding of what God just did for him? He totally does. Because as Christian people, we know that God has rescued and redeemed us. But now look at what Lot says. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil overtake me and I die. What is Lot so afraid of? Being alone with who? With God. It's hard to get quiet in our society. It's hard to be free of distraction. But oftentimes when we're alone in our own thoughts or our own heart and our own mind, there's actually an opportunity for us to reflect on where is my relationship with God? I firmly believe Lot's afraid of that. Just like many of us are afraid of that. And yet more than anything, in God's astounding mercy, this is what he desires. I want to be alone with you so that we can get back on track together, so that you can see the wisdom of my ways instead of the folly of your own. Verse 20. See now, Lot says, this city near enough to flee to. It's just a little one. Please let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my what? Oh, do you see how backwards Lot's thinking is? Consider this. We see it from the standpoint of, Lot, you just got saved. God grabbed your hand and brought you out of that place of destruction. But Lot sees himself as a victim in which God is trying to ruin his life. Ever been there? Ever walked in difficult circumstances going, God, what are you doing? This is not what I had planned. God, why are you doing it this way? Why don't you do it my way? And Lot sees himself as a victim instead of a beloved child of God. This is what sin does to us. It begins to shift our perspective. It begins to bend us towards self. And notice what Lot is really asking. Lot's really asking, not your will be done, but what? My will be done. And Jesus would teach his disciples how to pray. Not my will, but your will on earth as it is in heaven. And here is the beauty of these two men side by side. When Lot intercedes, who does he intercede for? Himself. Because he's not walking with God. But when Abraham intercedes, who does he intercede for? For others. Because he is walking with God. Amazing at the character difference between those who walk with Jesus and those who do not. Lot's argument bears no logic. It makes no sense. He's literally begging, let me just hold on to a little bit of sin because that's what will rescue my soul. Twisted thinking. And yet the astounding mercy of God, verse 21. And the angel said to him, see, I have favored you concerning this thing also, and that I will not overthrow this city for which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. Uh, Zoar simply just means 
little place or insignificant place. Do you see the mercy of God even in Lot's unfaithfulness? Lot, I just want you safe. Fine, go there. That's not the best place for you, but go there. For my judgment cannot come until I have removed you because this is my commitment to my people. Church family, if you belong to Jesus Christ, no matter what is coming in the future, you can be assured that you will not be the recipient of God's wrath. What a joyful thing to look forward to then if Jesus is coming back and instead of fearing his wrath, you look forward to spending eternity with him. It changes the perspective. We should still mourn for those who do not yet know Christ because they will experience God's wrath. But for those who are walking with him, oh, you will receive God's rewards beginning with salvation. Lot rejects God's divine direction. He flat out says no. He goes to a place that he's not called to. When we look at this in contrast to Abraham, we go back to Genesis chapter 12. Abraham, or as his name was at that time, Abram. God tells him, Abram, I want you to leave your country. I want you to depart from your father's house and your family. And I want you to go this way into a land called Canaan, which I has promised you. And what does Abraham do? He obeys. He listens. He goes. Not perfectly, by the way, but he goes. And the man who walked with God versus the man who doesn't, the man who walks with God embraces divine direction. Embraces divine direction. In your own life, how are you doing in embracing God's direction? And you may go, well, what, what divine direction? I don't hear God audibly speaking to me. I don't hear God showing me or telling me blueprints for my life. Here is God's divine direction according to his word. I want you to keep your finger here in Genesis 19, and we're going to turn to a little bit after the middle of your Bible, Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 55, beginning in verse 8. I'll give you some time to get there. Abraham follows God's divine direction. And even when he doesn't and he takes matters into his own hands, which we've seen already, there is repentance and he gets back on track with the Lord. Abraham is not perfect. He's a sinner just like me and just like you. But he walks with God, meaning he has a relationship with him. And if in your own life you're wondering, well, what does divine direction look like? Here's a great place to start. Isaiah chapter 55, beginning in verse 8. If you're there, give me a big amen. amen. Good on you for turning those pages. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. Amen? amen. What does this mean? What does it mean that your ways are not my ways, or your thoughts are not my thoughts. What does that actually mean? Okay, so there's, God is higher than us, so he has, he has more knowledge. What else? He, he has his own agenda. You make him sound a little bit like a politician, but you're right. He is, <laughs> it's a righteous agenda. 
Um, it's, it's, he's doing what's in the best interest for us, right? This means that your ways are different than my ways. Like your timing is not my timing. Your means are not my means. Your way of going from point A to point B looks different than my way of going from point A to point B. As a matter of fact, my whole points are different. It looks like this. God, I want to be exalted. I want to be lifted up. I want to be used. And God goes, good. Let's break you down so that we can build up your character so that when I hand you a blessing, you can steward it well instead of squandering it. My ways are not God's ways. And my thoughts are not his thoughts. This is the divine direction that God is giving to Lot. Lot, go to the mountains. No, I want to go to... What's the little town outside of Vegas? <laughs> Reno, Laughlin, uh, the, the other place. I don't want to go to... I, I, I agree, I'm not going to be in Vegas, but like, send me here. They still have a few slot machines. <laughs> and God goes, no, I, I want to take you on a really hard hike where your legs are going to hurt and you might trip and fall a few times and you might be desperate for my help so that when we meet together, you know your rightful place, that I am God and you are my loving child who can trust me. Let me take you up the mountain. This is what God wants to do, not only in Lot's life, but in our life. He wants us to embrace divine direction. What does that practically look like? Here are some ideas of what it practically looks like. Think about in parenting. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 9. God tells Moses to teach the people this. Hey, I want you to take my commandments, and I want you to teach them to your children. So much so that I want you to write them on the doorposts of your house. That when you're taking your kids to soccer practice, or when you're taking them to in and out that there's conversation about my word about my truth, about my character. When you're putting your child to bed, don't just say a rote prayer, say goodnight and turn off the light. Sit on their bedside. Memorize a scripture together and then unpack it with them. If you've got really little kids, pray over them for their future. Dads, remind your daughters of their value and worth, not from what's on the outside, but what's from on the inside. Tell your sons that they are meant to be great leaders, not in the world's eyes, but in the character that they display to lay their life down for others and a wife someday. When you see people on the sidewalk, by your house, getting arrested, tell your kids, guys, God has wisdom in his ways. If you walk in them, there are good things for your life. The enemy is tricky. He wants to destroy it. Don't go down that path. And here's what it looks like to embrace divine direction. I do a disservice to you if I simply tell you what to do. You better do this. You better go home and disciple your kids. Who already knows that? Two people. <laughs> you guys better go home and disciple your kids. You know that already. Here's the thing. We can know things, but if we don't see the wisdom of God's ways, if we don't understand the value of what he calls us to, it's just white noise. It's just religion. 
It's just showing up. I did my duty. I served my time, whatever it is. And God goes, no, no, no. I don't want you just to follow rules because I've set them. I want you to understand the value of my ways. Because when you disciple your child, maybe you'll raise a son who knows what it's like to lay his life down for his wife, which produces a healthy, godly family bearing fruit. Or to disciple a daughter who dresses modestly so that she doesn't attract the wrong kind of man. So that instead of freaking out as a dad when she goes out the door and practically nothing, you're rejoicing in the blessings and the wisdom of God's ways of, Lord, thank you that we could do this when we were young. There's tremendous value in what God calls us to. It's not just rules and regulations. Does that make sense? Divine direction in marriage. Ephesians 5, 21 through 33, the roles of a husband and a wife. Don't just read them and fulfill them because the Bible says so. That's good. But unless you embrace it, unless it becomes your passion, unless you have understanding that when a husband does lay his life down for a wife, she trusts him. She wants to come alongside him and build him. And you know what that produces? Joy in the house. An incredible team of husband and wife able to do ministry side by side. Whether you're in vocational ministry or not, it doesn't matter. You start having people over. And they love to be in your home. Or love to be in your apartment because it's a safe place. And now... As the husband, you start figuring out what God is doing in your wife's life and you go right along with it of God, I'm going to start right where you already are. And you build your wife. This is the wisdom of God's ways. It's not just a bunch of rules to follow and he's checking a list. It builds men and women. No different in the workplace. When we consider divine direction, Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. This is the parable of the talents. How many of you are familiar with the parable of the talents? We know the parable of the talents. Don't waste what you're given. Invest wisely what God provides to you. But why? Because you become a builder of his kingdom. And in your workplace, you can go from trying to build your own empire or have your own success and probably never achieving and reaching the levels that you want to. You can go about being angry at your boss or just going through the daily grind and can't wait to get through the day. Or you can see it as an opportunity in which God has literally placed souls in your care to share the good news of Jesus with. And when you get a taste of watching someone's life transform from the place of Sodom to the mountain, you will never want to go back you'll see the opportunities in front of you. And to watch a coworker be built in Christ, to watch them come to men's ministry or women's ministry. Oh, what a beautiful part in God's kingdom that you get to play. This is what it looks like for a person who walks and embraces God's divine direction. Does that make sense? This is what Abraham is doing. Lot is lacking. Verse 23. 
The sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zoar. Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. So he overthrew those cities, all the plain and the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife looked back behind him and she became a pillar of salt. Sometimes it's easy to look at certain passages in the scripture and go, God, I feel like you're harsh. I feel like you're kind of mean. I mean, everybody on the earth except Noah and his family get wiped out. Oh, that, that's tough. Everyone in Sodom and Gomorrah, everyone on the earth when Jesus returns that does not belong to him. God, your ways are hard and they're not my ways. But here's something I want to encourage you in, in this specific story. Do you know how blessed Sodom and Gomorrah was? You remember why Lot chose this area, right? Because of how fertile it was. As a matter of fact, the Bible says it was so fertile that men had idle time because they didn't have to plant. They just literally picked the grain and the fruit and the vegetables right out of the ground because God had blessed that area so much. Who, who provided that? God did. And when these kings earlier in Genesis come and they kidnap all the men and women or excuse me, all the women and children from Sodom and take all their possessions and all their flocks. Who rescues Sodom and Gomorrah? Abraham does through whose power? Through God's power. They were blessed. They saw Melchizedek, the high priest of Salem. This interesting archetypal Christ figure. Give honor to the Lord. They were sent righteous law. And I know it's hard to think of law as righteous. His actions were not, but he was. He belonged to the Lord. God sent a man who had the truth into Sodom and Gomorrah. And over and over and over again, they rejected God's blessing. They rejected his ways. And so God brings his judgment upon it. But only upon those that were rejecting in a sense, Jesus as the Messiah. This is why as a church, we believe in the rapture of Jesus Christ, taking the church off the earth before the seven year tribulation begins because God's wrath will not be poured out on his people. His wrath is reserved for a Christ rejecting world. Christ already took the wrath that we deserved upon the cross. Does that make sense? That's so important for us to understand. And here's why. Because sometimes in our life, when we mess up and we sin, and then something bad happens, we say what? God is punishing me. No, he's not. There are natural consequences. We're going to talk about that in just a little bit for Lot. Notice the difference between Lot's life and Abraham. Verse 27. This is the same morning that all of this has happened with Lot, by the way. The same morning. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. Then he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain. And he saw and behold the smoke of the land which went up like the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow. 
when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. Early in the morning, God rescues Lot. And what is Lot doing with God? Pushing back, fighting, arguing, trying to get his own way. When Abraham gets up early in the morning, what does he do? He returns where? To the place that he had met with the Lord, where they had that conversation about if there were righteous people, would God destroy them? If you're taking notes, I encourage you to write this down. Prioritizing time with God is an investment with guaranteed returns. Prioritizing time with God is an investment with guaranteed returns. Notice Abraham. The first thing he does when he gets up in the morning, and this isn't religiously, by the way. This isn't a sermon on you better do your devos in the morning or God's watching you. That's religion. Abraham can't wait. The first thing he wants to do is go right to the Lord. And here's why. Because he knows hard things happen in life. And he wants to be reminded of God's character, his love, his justice, his mercy. The fact that God and him have a relationship together so that when he sees the smoke rising up from Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham doesn't go, oh God, you're so mean, you're such a jerk, why'd you do that? Instead, Abraham goes, God, I know that you are just. And I know that because I understand your character, because I have a relationship with you, and I know you would not destroy your own people. And that brings comfort to Abraham. He knows that his nephew Lot had been taken out of the city, even without seeing Lot taken out. How important for us in a world that is literally going nuts. I don't know about you, but I read like nine articles this week where I looked at my wife and I was like, we lost it. She's like, you said that yesterday. I was like, we lost it again. We're going crazy. And if I don't ground myself in time with the Lord, I will buy into the enemy's trap of still being saved, but all the world's going to hell in a handbasket and we just need to, we got to fix this by voting this way and doing this. And okay, good. Those are good things, but that is not your savior. Come back to the truth of who God is and who holds the victory in his hand and that the end is already written and our part to play is sharing the good news of Jesus Christ instead of getting on the complaining bandwagon about everything that's going to the toilet. <laughs> Abraham prioritizes time with God because he knows that investment, there is a guaranteed return. Look at James chapter 4, verse 8. I love this promise. Read it out loud with me. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Just stop right there. That means the moment you open your Bible, the moment you call upon the name of Jesus, the moment you enter into a small group, the, the time you take to be a part of a men's or a women's ministry. It's like the fourth time I've mentioned it. Become part of men's and women's ministry. Not because you have to, but because you can see the wisdom of God's ways. When you draw near to God, he draws near to you. Sometimes when I draw near to God, I don't feel like God is very close. Anybody else ever feel that way? 
But that's not what the word says. Whether I feel that way or not doesn't matter. It's what's true. When I spend time with God, he spends time with me. And then he says, read this with me. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. This is for all of us. This isn't for just, you know, bad people. How many of you have to wash your hands multiple times a day? (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Go back to fist bumps at the... James uses this practical example because it's just a healthy thing to wash our hands. We have to do it throughout our day. How do we do that spiritually? By spending time with God, allowing his word to wash us clean over and over and over again. And then look, he says, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Can anyone relate? Sometimes it's not even bad things. You go through your day. You've been working with integrity in the workplace. You've been been cruising along. You've been getting your tasks done. And before you know it, you've gone a whole day without relying on who? God, just ourselves. Because we are divided between God and the world. But the more we come to him, the more he spends time with us. And our hearts and minds are washed in the water of his word of truth. Prioritizing time with God has a guaranteed return on that investment. Abraham experienced that. Lot did not. Last section. This is a difficult section. If you have not read this before, be shocked, but also know that this is in the Bible for a reason. Verse 30. Then Lot went up out of Zoar and dwelt in the mountains. And his two daughters were with him, for he was afraid to dwell in Zoar. Uh, We don't get specific insight of, well, Lot begged to go to Zoar. Now why is he leaving and going to the mountains? And here's what I firmly believe. This is reading between the lines, but I think that this rings true. I think Lot had a moment of clarity where he went, holy smokes, God just rescued me from that place, Sodom and Gomorrah, and now I'm in little Sodom and Gomorrah. What am I doing here? Why am I making the same mistakes? Why am I choosing to go back? I better get my rear end up to the mountain where God called me in the first place. I believe that's why Lot left Zoar, because he was afraid for his life. He was afraid for his soul. And Lot, in his attempt to do the right thing, there's still some really mixed up priorities. And now we see the fruit of not walking with God. Verse 31. Now the firstborn daughter of Lot said to the younger, our father is old and there is no man on the earth to come into us or meaning to marry us and repopulate with us as is the custom of all the earth. By the way, was that true? There were no men left on the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine and we will lie with him that we may preserve the lineage of our father. So they made their father drink wine that night. And the firstborn went in and lay with her father. And he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. It happened on the next day that the firstborn said to the younger, Indeed, I lay with my father last night. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. And you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve the lineage of our father. 
Then they made their father drink wine that night also, and the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot were with child by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. And the younger, she also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the people of Ammon to this day. Church family, difficult section. Um, Why, Lord? Why put this in the Bible? Because this is real life. This is what happens when people decide what is right in their own eyes. This is what happens when we don't walk with God. Things become perverted and distorted. And it doesn't take much to look around our own culture and society and to go, what is absolutely perverse and wicked is being glorified. And what is good and right and true is being condemned as evil. The Bible addresses these things head on. And I would encourage you to notice a few things. Number one, this is not God's punishment on Lot. He is reaping what he has sown. That is all. We reap what we sow. This is a biblical principle throughout the scriptures, which simply means when you don't disciple your children and when you allow them to live in a perverse environment, watching disgusting things on television, listening to horrible music about downgrading women and beating them and doing drugs or whatever else it is, allowing them to spend time with friends that are vulgar, and rooted in the flesh. What do you expect your child will become like? They're a product of their environment. Lot is simply reaping what he sown. This is so important for us to understand. This is not God's judgment on Lot. God rescued Lot from judgment. Do you remember? This is Lot's reaping of what he has sown. Consider this. Lot didn't disciple his kids because if he had discipled his kids, it would have looked different. His little girls would have come to him and say, dad, what do we do? What's going to happen to us? Help us, lead us, guide us. They had no trust in their father. He had not told them that God's ways were not their ways. He had not imparted to them the righteousness of walking with God. And of course, this is perverse. It's vile. It's disgusting. There's no justification for it whatsoever. But Lot is reaping what he's sown. May we be warned by this. And yet, may we also be encouraged. Here's the encouragement that I have for you. Lot is given divine direction. Go to the mountains. Do what I say. Be discipling your kids. Teach them my ways. And Lot does none of it. And this is the result. But think of Abraham. And again, Abraham's imperfect. We're not lifting him up at like God's status because he's so amazing. But he walks with God. And he's repentant when he messes up and sins. Consider this. It's pretty extreme that Lot's daughters slept with their father in order to procreate. It's messed up. Another extreme would be this. The promised son, Isaac, comes to Abraham 
in his old age. And when he's a teenager, God says, I want you to take your loved son up a mountain called Moriah, and I want you to sacrifice him unto the Lord. And as they're climbing the mountain, teenage Isaac goes, Dad, we got the knife, we got the wood, we got the fire. We're just missing the sacrifice. He gets it, doesn't he? And Abraham's response is, son, God will provide the sacrifice. And Isaac is willing to be bound and placed upon the altar because he has what? He has faith and trust in his dad because his dad has faith and trust in God. And it's evident that Abraham has done what with Isaac? He's discipled his son. Do you see the difference between a man who walks with God and a man who doesn't? This is the difference between a family that goes, well, I brought my, my, my kid to church every day. Good, that's good. But did you live out a relationship with Jesus Christ in your marriage and in your home? Did your kids see it firsthand? Did they experience what it was like when you were sorrowful and broken and you cried out to God? Did they experience that when you got success and joy that you gave credit to him? Or was it just church on Sunday? The man who walks with God, experience his blessings. The man who chooses not to. Their life ends in ash and sulfur. Look at Lot's life. Verse 36 is the last we hear of Lot in regards to the book of Genesis and his life. That's it. Verse 36. Thus both the daughters of Lot were with child by their father. That's his legacy. Now, there's other places in Scripture that mention Lot, but in terms of his life, this is the finality. That's the end. And notice what he produces. A child named Moab and a child named Ammon. Who are the Moabites? The enemies of Israel. Who are the Ammonites? The enemies of Israel. You know where they are today? The country of Jordan. Do you know what the capital of Jordan is? Ammon. This is the legacy that Lot leaves. But here's the beauty of what Abraham leaves. That discipleship leaves a godly legacy. Consider Abraham's legacy. The nation of Israel. Some of you are like, yeah, don't forget about Ishmael. You bet. That's part of his legacy. It's also an incredible sign of the repentance of Abraham. He was not a perfect man. And yet God was still faithful. His inheritance, Israel, all the promise that God gave to him. Abraham is in Hebrews 11 talking about his faith. What is your legacy going to be like? And here's the danger of that word legacy. When we hear the word legacy, we think of this. My greatness. I have to do something great in order to leave a legacy. But in God's economy, whose greatness is it about? Oh, it's about his greatness. How do we get there to his greatness? By following and embracing divine direction one day at a time. God, I'm going to obey you. Oh, I blew it. God, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. I want to obey you. That's what it looks like to leave a godly legacy, to be in relationship with God, not because you have to, but because you understand the wisdom of God's ways. 
His ways are so much above our ways. His thoughts above our thoughts. And the rest of that Isaiah passage would say that it's like God gives us seed to sow, which turns into bread to feed others. You are given seed to sow. You are given truth, God's character, the gospel message. And as you live it out in your life, it turns into bread. Not just for you, but for who? But for others. For those in the generations below you and beyond you. And here's what I want to leave you with today. In all this mess of Lot, in all the greatness of Abraham's walk with God, nothing compares to Jesus Christ. When you go to Matthew chapter 1 and you look at the lineage of Jesus, verse 5 and 6 specifically says, And from Boaz was born to Ruth Obed, and Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot who? King David. Whose lineage is that? That's the lineage of Jesus Christ, which means this. However lewd and vile and disgusting that act was that happened in that cave at the end of Genesis 19, Jesus came even to apply mercy to such things for those who repent of their sin and turn to him. His lineage comes from Ruth. Ruth was of what tribe? The Moabites. And God is willing to go so low in his humility that no one is outside of his grace and mercy. That no matter what you have done, no matter what's been done to you, that if you repent of your sin, Jesus Christ covers all the things you've ever done. And this is how he chooses to be our savior, to grab us by the hand and to pull us out. May we leave a legacy, not like Lot, but like Abraham, simply just walking with God one day at a time. Amen? You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.